This is Talking Sports with Evan, dealing with some technical issues, but I think we're starting to get it figured out. Uh, I'm joined by friend of the show, uh, a friend overall, uh, Tristan Thomas. You see his, at, uh, his Twitter handle and his website at the bottom. So if you want to check his work out, go ahead and do that. And, you know, I want to get you on lots of, uh, you know, we're getting close to the NBA training camp starting with the Bucks, And of course, Everyone nationally or not local to Milwaukee is freaking out about Giannis being Giannis. They don't really pay much attention to him. And then all of a sudden now they want to. So we're going to talk about that. Get your thoughts on the Packers first couple games and some uh, big college basketball news. Wisconsin did have a five-star recruit in the state of Wisconsin this season. Uh, he made his commitment, Con Knuppel, uh, Knuppel. However, you say his name. He made his announcement. Uh, Virginia, Wisconsin, Alabama, Marquette, and Duke were his finalists. And he made his decision of going to Duke as well. So, kind of, I guess, talk about the five star kid in Wisconsin that is unfortunately once again leaving Wisconsin, which seems to be the case. I think Tyler Hero, I'm not sure if he was five star or not, but of course he left. But enough about that. Uh, bring you in since. We have Echo when you're not muted, so I'll mute you so you can give your welcomes. How is everything going here today? You know, besides the technical difficulties, you know, everything is is, is going all right. I can't complain. Always good to be on with you. Chop it up as long as we know how. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I hate to, to, to see five-star recruits from Wisconsin because we don't get a whole lot of them coming out of the state of Wisconsin, go elsewhere, but that is the way it always seems to go. Yeah, it always seems to be Duke or North Carolina or Kentucky or whatever. Um, But I kind of want to start off with the latest with Giannis and Shannon Sharp. You could tell he doesn't pay attention to Milwaukee sports, complaining that Giannis wants to be a winner, but yet he's, quote, keeping two roster spots for his brothers when those positions can be used elsewhere, which I think is just a load of BS. And, of course, people are, you know, defending Shannon Sharp with that comment saying, but he's right, though, and only one of Giannis's brothers is actually on the roster. The other one's in the G League, Developmental League, which is where you go to if you're trying to become a better player. And I don't see the 15th player on a roster where teams are trying to compete with championships have much of an impact whatsoever. I mean, you pretty much said everything I, I said um, about Shannon Sharp's comments. I mean, we, we know he's a well-documented Laker lover. Well, you know, I don't know if it's so much the, the Lakers as he loves LeBron or LeGoat as he likes to call him. So, you know, he's not paying attention to anything Milwaukee related as far as sports goes. And it, it really showed in his comments. I think Stephen A. Smith has rubbed off on him quite quickly with his outlandish comments, his hot takes. You're 100% correct. The The 14th and 15th player, even the 13th and 12th player on the roster is not going to be the difference between Milwaukee winning a championship and losing a championship. And when you only have one of the Antetokounmpo brothers on the actual roster, the other being in the G League, I don't know if it's a two-way contract or not, but 
having seen him and his brother play in the G League. That was the first game last season. That was pretty awesome. But it really goes to show how casual he is about the rest of the league or anything outside of LeBron. And everybody that's defending his comments, it shows how much of a casual they actually are. And they just hop on the train. Any chance they get to put any type of Giannis slander out there, they're all for it. And this is just the case. Yeah, in the national media, it seems like anytime Giannis says anything, and I think one of Giannis's both good and bad quality about him is he's blatantly open and honest in his answers. He doesn't understand the whole quote unquote coach speak is where you give the uh, the scripted answers that don't get anybody thinking or freaking out. You hear it when he's talking about his ego during the finals run. You know, the ego and the, uh, I, I forget the exact off the top of my head, but it's very well well thought out. And then winning and losing and are, is this season a failure and all that. I think he's over everybody's head there. I think he's just so open and honest that people hear what he has to say. And the thing is, he didn't say anything different that he's, he ever has said before. He wants to. He wants to stay in Milwaukee, but he also wants to be a winner. He wants to compete for championships. And if Milwaukee and him are on different pages on that, he doesn't want to be here for a rebuild. I don't think there's anything outrageous in any of that. And, and you know, I don't even know if necessarily it's a bad thing that he is open and honest and and smart and well thought out in, in his responses. I'd much rather have that than somebody that's just out there spewing nonsense. Um, and, and, it and it's not like he doesn't put out the coach speak because we've seen him do that before. Oh, we want to get better every day. We have to do this. We have to, I have to leave that up to coach. I respect coach uh, this, that, and the third. So I don't necessarily think it's a, it's a bad thing. I just think that he is so far above people's heads that they can't comprehend because they always want to get the low hanging fruit and he doesn't provide them with that. Um, his comments. I think you said yeah. exactly what I was trying to say, but you just said it a million times better. <laughs> but it, like, like you said, his comments are nothing different than what he has always said. And it seems as if when he comes due for a contract, everybody comes out the woodworks with their hot takes and their worst takes known to man. And they're putting them out there. So I mean, we've heard him say all this stuff before. He wants to win. He's a winner. He wants to compete for championships. He doesn't just want to win in a regular season. He wants to win championships. That's what he's in it for. And good for him. Um, everybody has to really pay attention to what he says in order to really comment and understand the type of guy that he actually is. And I don't think anybody is. They just, they're just so ready to jump on the slander train and anything that he does wrong, he, he doesn't know how to jump, shoot a jump shot, but he's one of two MVPs in a championship. He doesn't know how to do this, that, and the third, he doesn't have a bag, but yet he's one of the best players in the world. I mean, I think people are saying Jokic is currently because he's the current champion, but I mean, you're, you're talking about one the best player in the world. They just want to slander him because it, he doesn't do it the way they believe he should do it. Yeah. I don't think the, these talking head shows, uh, first take, undisputed, any other of the shows that they have, I, the, to me, sports talk, sports debate, those kind of hurt it because it's now who can give the the hottest take out there and who can uh, say the 
most outrageous thing out there. And I, I think Skip has made a a career out of it since he joined originally ESPN and now Fox. And Stephen A. Smith, I used to enjoy hearing his thoughts on the NBA before first take. And then since first take has happened, I, I, I don't know. I, he just... Uh. It, you're 100% correct. I mean, I think when you look at anybody doing anything sports related and not everybody, I mean, like I said, I believe you put out some of the smartest takes out there. That's why I, I love the stuff. I believe that I put out some, I call myself the common sense of sports because I, I bring common sense to it. I'm not a hot take guy. I, I think those types of shows, those types of guys really ruin it. And the, and the thing is that, that people really don't understand that those two were really highly respected journalists in their field before they really got on to the big money TV contract hot take train. So it, it, it's like they, they have the ability to go out there and put well-thought, well-put-together stories and thoughts uh, out into the lexicon, but they don't because that's not what their networks are paying them for. That's not what the advertisers are coming to them for. And uh, you're talking Stephen A. Smith getting $10 mil a year. I mean, Skip not that far behind him with his contract just for going out there and spewing nonsense and being an entertainer as opposed to the journalists that they were when they came up. So it, it definitely has put a dent in it. It definitely has done damage to a lot of athletes. It's also made athletes misunderstood. I think Giannis being one of them because he is so smart and well thought out that it's above their heads because those guys like to go after the low-hanging fruit. Yeah, definitely like the low-hanging fruit. And one of the things I want to get your thought on, and the latest rumors flying around now that um, Buddy Heald currently plays for the Indiana Pacers, and apparently him and the Pacers are looking at potential trades. And I know the Bucks more need a, sh- a point guard more than a shooting guard or small forward. But you know, you look at you look at Buddy Heald. He's a career fourteen point you know seven points per game, average fifteen just under fifteen and a half last year. Um, when you look at Buddy Heald, and I don't know a ton about him. I know he can shoot, but is he fit this Bucks roster? And we don't know what the offense is going to be yet. I get that. I understand that. But is he fit the Bucks roster? And what would they have to give up? to make that trade work. I've seen Grayson and Bobby, but is that, would that even be enough? Grayson and Bobby probably would be enough. I mean, it should be enough if people were actually acting in good faith. Uh, Buddy Heald, yes, he can, he can shoot, but there's, this is the second team in which he's kind of been on the outs with to the point where he wanted out, you know, Sacramento where he was drafted, you know, that situation ended the same. Now, Indiana, that situation is ending the same with him wanting a trade. Can he shoot it? Absolutely. But he can't do much else after that. He's not really a good driver to the cup. He's not really a good defender. So we, and you're 100% correct. We don't know what type of a coach Adrian Griffith is. You know, we, we don't know, um, what he wants to do. We don't know what he wants to put out there on the court, how he wants to surround Giannis. Does he want all the shooters? Do we, what does he want to do? We have to learn that. That's a learning curve that we're going to have this season watching him as a, as a rookie head coach as well. So it, would it be nice to have is he premium shooting? Absolutely. But what else is going to bring to the table? That's going to allow him to get onto the court. I would much rather have those minutes be there from Arjan and others, as opposed to getting a guy who can't really do it on both ends of the court. Yeah, I, I know he's never 
been much of a defender, but I guess I don't know a lot about him. Now, the kid from Oshkosh, if he was on the block, I would be more than happy for the Bucks to go after him. <laughs> I think we all would. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he's available, though. No. Wishful thinking. <laughs> I guess we can be like some of the people on uh, Facebook groups uh, randomly oh. comment. The Bucks should go get so-and-so. The Brewers should go get so-and-so, thinking that not realizing or not paying attention or caring that it does take two to tango and you can't just go get somebody. <laughs> I blame Stephen A. Smith and, and, and Skip Bayless for fostering those horrible, terrible, no good, very bad Facebook sports groups because they also produce some of the, the, the most nonsensical hot takes that you will ever see. Yeah, I definitely get behind that. So I want to jump to the the NFL here. Um, Packers one and one lost a tough game against Atlanta, and to me, it became a combination of multiple things on what happened there. And I like Matt Lafleur, but one of his issues sometimes is he he talks about being all gas and no mfing break, but he'll do the opposite sometimes, and he'll coach not to lose like he has a 12 point lead in the fourth quarter okay let's uh we can't run the ball but we're going to try to run and ball control here even though our interior of our line can't run block and we don't have the back to make up for the fact that we can't run block i think he gets too like conservative when it truly matters and then joe barry and i know it's not all the defensive coordinator um guys have to perform guys have to do their job Jair Alexander, for example, has paid a lot of money to lock down these top receivers, and London took him to school on a couple of those plays, which was quite frustrating to watch. And then I think we're on year 12. Uh, Not quite year 12. It seems that way. But the Packers just can't stop the run, no matter what. They couldn't do it under Pettin. They couldn't do it under uh, under, uh, Dom Capers towards the tail end. They couldn't do it under the D.C. right before Dom Capers. It just doesn't seem like something the Packers can do. And I think those are the two avenues where they they lost that game. I know Jordan Love needs to play better. And I think this for him, this is part of the learning curve. And we have a fourth quarter. We have to close out the game. It's closer than the Packers-Bears game. So we got to close it out. And I think if he could have those throws back, he would. And in that game, he made some incredible throws. Like the fade route to the end zone to Wicks just made a good play by the defender. But what are your thoughts on Atlanta and the, like, you know, this one and one start as of right now? Hey, you must have listened to this week's episode of Toss because everything you said is exactly everything that I said this week. Um, it, Matt LaFleur, like I said, like him as a head coach, but I called it into question uh, his, his, his decision making. Uh, the first one being in the offseason by retaining Joe Barry. When you saw that his schemes, his decision-making on where to put players does not work, especially with your soft zones on third and short and third and long, your inability to get these guys to stop the run. And again, like you said, it's not all on the D.C. It's also the players having to go out there and do their jobs. And I just didn't see a willingness to want to get in there and stop the run from the players. Oh, Alexander was like the last thing he wanted to do was stop the run on Sunday. 
the last thing he wanted to do. Like, yeah, he got in, he, he hit a guy, but, you know, you really weren't in the trenches to try to stop the run from getting out of the backfield. You know, it, and I saw that from a lot of the guys. You know, I, maybe the one guy I did not see that from was Quay Walker, who has 17 tackles. So it, it's, it's a willingness from the players who want to get in there and stop the run. It's the scheme of the D.C. to put the guys in the best position to succeed. It is also the decision-making and the scheme from the head coach to put the guys in the best positions to win and to make the best decisions for the team. He didn't make a good decision in keeping Joe Barry. You're seeing that bear fruit. I know it's two games, but we're seeing a lot of the same things that we saw from him the last last season uh, that did not work. And Melifor's own decision-making as a play caller. We talk about the fourth quarter conservancy and how you how you mentioned it. You said all gas, no brakes, right? But he slams the brakes on quite a bit. He slammed the brakes on way before the fourth quarter. That first quarter, when he did not get a play in or whatever the hell happened, where you end up taking a five-yard delay of game penalty. Oh, the field goal attempt. Knocking them out of field goal. Not even really knocking them out of field goal range. You were still capable of putting that guy out there, Carlson, for a 56-yard field goal. The guy hit from 57 with extra leg on there. You have to go and attempt that because guess what? Those points were the points that decided the game. So your decision-making is going to be called into question. And everything that Joe Barry does is going to be directly attached to Matt LaFleur, and there's going to be have to be some decisions made if this continues the same trend that we're seeing, which is not trending in the right direction. Two games, I get it, but we've seen this book from Joe Barry before, and Matt LaFleur is the one who made the decision to retain him, so you're going to have to lump them together and make some decisions after it's all said and done. Yeah, and we're we're seeing, as you mentioned, the book come out through again. So year one under Joe Barry, the defense came out – very soft and you know they struggled to stop people middle part of the year played fairly well finally maybe they found something then the end of the season happens and they get exposed again second year same pretty much same thing he uh beginning part of the year they struggle they can't be for some reason they're not having alexander on jefferson the entire game and they struggle and they middle part of the year they seem to find something out but when push comes to shove and they need one stop to have a chance to win a la detroit last year the 49ers before that they can't do it and now i'm scared what's going to happen is we're going to have a stretch of games that the defense is going to play lights out because they do have talent on that side of the ball and they're going to shut teams down and we're going to be like oh the defense has figured it out but we're going to go into week 18 week 17 or wild card round of the playoffs and the defense is going to have to make a play and Joe Barry's going to go back to playing his soft zone and uh LaFleur is going to decide that he saw enough middle part of the year that oh we got to bring Joe Barry back because he seemed to have turned a corner with the defense again. That's one of my biggest fears. And if Joe, if uh, LaFleur does do that, as much as I like LaFleur, I, I think I would start going the other direction on him. Exactly. You, you have to call into question the decision-making of the head coach. You know, he, he is the, the head coach. He is making decisions for the entire staff. You have to call into question his decision-making. If it's not good and it's trickling down and it's not getting the best performance out of all the players, it's not putting the players in the best position to succeed, which is what a coach's job is to do. You know, again, it's a willingness by the players to have to want to go and get the job done. 
But at the same time, you have to put them in the proper positions to do so. Those decisions come from the coaches. And if he's making those types of decisions, then, yeah, you're going to have to make some tough decisions at the end of the season. Yeah, and hopefully, hopefully the you know the defense middle part of the year going into the into the bye week, uh, all the wheels fall off. So uh, Lafleur has to do it in season. And I, I hate arguing for somebody to lose their job. It's just that Joe Barry is not a good fit for this position. We've seen Joe Barry over and over again show back to uh, Washington days, back to Detroit days that he can be a very good position coach. He was a very good linebackers coach with the Rams. He was a good linebackers coach with the Buccaneers. But when he has to be coordinator in two previous stops and so far in Green Bay, and now he's on to year three. He didn't last year three in those two other spots, I don't think. Now we're on to year three of Joe Barry, and it just keeps becoming more and more of the same for him. Yeah, and you're and while you're sitting on Joe Barry, you're letting so much defensive-minded talent, you know, the, the talent of the coordinators out there just go to other teams, and you're seeing marketed improvement by those defenses as they're able to draft to get more talent in there, and you're seeing what they're able to do. And meanwhile, you're sitting here with, uh, like you said, a ton of talent on this defense because there is. Let, let's, let's not be mistaken about that. There's a ton of talent on this defense, a lot to like about it. But when you put them in the wrong positions, as Joe Barry constantly does, and you get it co-signed by the head coach, it's not good. Yeah, definitely not good. And you you brought Joe Barry in because he was familiar with the Vic Fangio defense. You had a chance to bring Vic Fangio Vic in. Vic Fangio. <laughs> he, got, he got let go, or he was a free agent or whatever, and you had a chance to bring him in. And you're like, no, nah, we'll keep Joe Barry along. But I want to get your thoughts on Jordan Love through two games. To me – Yes, the completion percentage could be better. However, he's not playing with his number one receiver. Aaron Jones missed week two. And I I don't see a lot of guys consistently getting open, so he's being forced to make some tougher throws. If you look at the analytics, he's one of the top uh, in the NFL right now in in, uh, making throws where there's one yard or less of separation. And it's not because he's throwing the ball in – tight windows because he doesn't know what he's doing. He's throwing in tight windows. His guys just aren't consistently getting open right now. Which is just just wild because you you have some guys who, who have some quickness on that squad. How they're not getting open is just – it seems like that continues to just be a theme with Packers wide receivers. That, and once Watson gets back and you hope that he's able to play in some sort and some capacity with their home opener this Sunday against the Saints – I think some of that space will open up because he is such a game breaker. He does have that speed. So once he gets back, I think you'll see a little bit more separation. But Jordan Love, tied for the NFL lead in touchdown passes where Kirk Cousins at six, has no interceptions, zero interceptions. Top quarterback rating, if that's the stat you look at. Top quarterback rating in all of the NFL. He is showing that he was ready for this moment. He was ready for this position. The three years sitting behind Aaron Rodgers did him so good. The biggest thing I think people miss is the fact that he's been within the same offense the entire time. It wasn't like there was a coaching change and he had to learn new offense, new verbiage and all that. He's been within Matt LaFleur's offense. He knows what to do. He just hasn't had the starter reps. And now that he's getting them, we're seeing that this kid can be good. As you mentioned, completion percentage could be a little bit higher. I think he's completing what, about 56% of his passes. You need to get that well above 60. But again, his receivers aren't really getting open. So Jordan Love, 
you know, I, I, I couldn't be more pleased with how he's doing. You know, it, 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 you hope that he wasn't going to turn the ball over, and he hasn't. I think that was everybody's big worry because Rodgers did used to take care of the football. That's one thing he was really, really good at, and it seems to continue with Jordan Love. You, you heard in the game broadcast, they talk about what Rodgers told Love, hey, take the completion, check downs are huge, all that. And you can see that he's actually taking that to heart. He's actually out there executing. So Jordan Love, as advertised, yes, rough fourth quarter, Partly on head coach, partly on him. Maybe he shouldn't make some better throws, better decision-making. But I have no problem with Jordan Love. I'm pleased with what I've seen. I'm, I'm hoping that he continues to grow, continues to get that confidence, and continues to play well, take care of the football, lead this team. So we, we get the home opener this week against the Saints, and the Saints are a team that can get pressure on the quarterback. They also are a team that gives up a lot of pressure on the quarterback. So it, it kind of fits in the, the Packers' wheelhouse with pressures because Rashawn Gary and company, they can get pressure on the quarterback. But with the Saints this week, you're going up against the Saints, not having your, your all-pro left tackle, and it's unfortunate. And I'm sure if it wasn't the same knee he tore his ACL in that he's having the MCL issue in, I'm sure maybe he'll try to push his, push, uh, his way to stay in that lineup. But it's just not worth the risk when you've already blew out the ACL in that knee. Bakhtiari, whatever's going on with him, that knee is a problem again. So you're going to have a bunch of offensive line shuffling around potentially again, which I wish the Packers would give Sean Ryan a chance at left guard instead of Royce Newman, which Newman did well in the pass pro, but he can't run block. And him and Walker and Wells, uh, not Wells, uh, uh, Josh Myers, I'm sorry, Wells is an old school Packer center. But those three in particular just cannot run block. And I think that's one of the biggest issues they ran into last week trying to run that football. Dylan had nowhere to go, but now we're going up against the Saints, and they're a team that gets pressure on that quarterback. You know, What are your thoughts on uh, the home opener with the Saints? It, you, you really hated coughing up that Atlanta game because it was a very winnable game. I, I believe they would have had a chance to be going for 3-0. and it's going to be tough defensively, especially with, you know, Bakhtiari just doesn't want to play on turf. I I, I think I've just come to terms with that. Uh, you would think he would be playing this Sunday. We'll see. I I don't I don't know. Uh, is that knee really a problem, or is it just he's not playing on turf? I know Matt Lafleur didn't really want to address it. I want to he, know what's wrong with that knee because ACL seemed to be as simple as a, I know the rehab. Uh, I don't mean to minimize the effects it has on people. But it so seems like it's become a removing the appendix with how much it's done nowadays. But since he had that surgery, it's just nothing seems to be going right for that knee. I want to know what happened to that knee because it's still not right. My thing is, it, it leads me to to think that maybe there's maybe there's a bit of of, of arthritis or something um, that really hampers him. A little bit more than what he's letting on, or letting the at least the public let on. Um, so, or it could be a turf issue. You know, I mean, I just, I just, I don't know. Nobody wants to address it. We all see it. <laughs> they're, they're trying to put the, you know, the big deodorant over it, and it still stinks. So, um, it, it's going to be tough without your your all pros on that line. The thing about AJ Dillon is he is a guy who's one cut and go, and if he 
doesn't have anywhere to go after that one cut, it's just going to be tough sledding for him. Everybody made a big deal of him trip over his feet and all that. He runs with the lean, so that's bound to happen. But it's really hard to pick up a yard when you don't have the holes to even squeeze through. So it's going to be tough. Love's going to have to continue to play, take care of that football. Um, but if Christian Watson comes back, gives him a little bit more breathing room, you get those young guys in that receiving course and some space to do some damage. And I think they could come out with that win. And I mean to cut you off before there, but I'm just so annoyed with that knee and how do they botch it so bad? Because back to the 2021 season, he had to have that thing drained a lot. Mm-hmm. And they're mm-hmm. taking a ton of fluid out of that, and that's not normal. But good news mm-hmm. today is Aaron Jones did return to practice, although limited. He was in practice. He was on the practice field. I think that's going to be the, the difference if the Packers win or lose is Aaron Jones' availability and how effective he is. I think week one, as much as you complain that they didn't get him involved enough, I think they he's one that you want to kind of pick your – pick your poison with you don't want to just rely on him to be a bell cow that's not him you're going to wear him down he's going to get hurt i think they they used them perfectly in week one prior to that hamstring injury and hopefully he's good to go week three and gives the packers some uh, options in the check down or screen game or that slant he ran on fourth and three against the bears where he got hurt was just a, a great great route and great throw by love on that play yeah, Gary Ellison said, you know, the former Badger, former Packer uh, sportscaster in Wisconsin, he he even said that, you know, Jones is is on a pitch count, you know, and you could you could see that. But it's inexplicable to me to give him five carries on the very first drive and you don't see him again until the third quarter. He does not touch the football again to the third quarter. I, I'm all for if you're going to limit his touches make sure he's getting them throughout the game to stay involved and to stay lathered up and, and, you know, to get going. Don't just banish him to the shadow realm for, for a quarter and a half after you gave him the ball five times to which he carried for 24 yards on that first drive. It's inexplicable to me. It's inexcusable to me. You can, you can get him 20 touches without making him miss the football for whole quarters at a time. Yeah, and I think maybe not give him five consecutive carries on the opening drive because then you decide not to use him, which I, I like the I like how they got him the football with the the screen pass and that, but yeah, I definitely you know, they definitely could have gotten the ball more in that in that first half. And they definitely could have used him at the against the Falcons. And what about Bijan? That stuff he was doing with that ball in his hands, like holy cow, he's the real deal. You mean Beast John? Because that's exactly what he was against that Packers yeah. defensive front. He had some Barry Sanders in him on a couple of those runs. That first, I think it was the fourth and there was a fourth and inches play where there wasn't really anywhere to run, and he found the smallest hole and just was able to cut through that and get some yardage there. So just NFL in general, we're in week two. Um, here's my NFL standings. Sorry, I have the standings out in front of me, and then they vanished. Um, through two games, is there uh, any particular teams or players that are just making you uh, say wow? Because right now we have the Dolphins 2-0. I'm not too surprised on that. Not surprised the Cowboys are 2-0, who they've played. Washington's a little surprising. Um, they came back to beat the Broncos last week. 49ers undefeated. And then you have 
that was supposed to be probably the weakest division in football. Three of the four teams are 2-0 and in Atlanta, New Orleans, and Tampa Bay. Yeah, and Atlanta's very fortunate to have come out with that victory against the Green Bay Packers. But yeah. a win is a win. A win is a win. It, no team really sticks out to me that, that just makes you say, you know, wow, they're 2-0. It's like it's it's early. Um, you you have your normal players in there, you know, the San Francisco's of the world, the Dolphins of the world, you know, and I hope they continue because, I mean, that, that's that's a team that I, I actually like to watch play on both sides of the football. It's it's just wild what Mike McDaniel has been able to go in there and do and get out of those guys. It's just it's incredible to see them play, especially the dominance that he's had over the Patriots. Two is 5-0 and against Bill Belichick. I mean, name another quarterback that's had that sort of a start against a Bill Bill Belichick coach team. I don't think you can. So it, it's 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 nice to see some of these squads that you had expectations for, living up to those expectations. Maybe not so much the Bengals. They're kind of struggling. Joe Burrow's not completely healthy. You know, they got some guys that aren't really producing. But nobody's really quite yet stuck out to me and say, wow, you know, that's, wow, that team is it. Maybe San Francisco, but they're expected. Yeah. I do have one player. That is really – and I, I wanted to sign him on my fantasy football team this week. I know nobody wants to know about your fantasy team. But anyway, through two games, 25 catches, 266 yards, 10.6-yard average, long of 21. The one thing he's missing, he doesn't have a touchdown yet, is rookie-wide receiver. I'm going to butcher the name. Puka. Uh, Puka Nakua. Nakua. There you go. Puka Nakua. I don't even know. I and I I follow the draft. You know how much I study the draft. Yeah, I had no clue who he was, and all of a sudden, the fifth round pick out of BYU and played for Washington before that. He he's twenty five catches in two games. It's, where did this come from? It's it, that that's wild to me that the Rams are depending on guys uh, named Puka and Tutu. Tutu Atwell is not that far behind them either. So, I mean, they got they got some guys coming out the woodworks that are producing for them. And I mean, but yeah, that that's one thing that made me say, man, that's that's wild. Like who who would have thought? Like he was on nobody's list, nobody's fantasy darling list, N- nothing, no one, no one expected this. But it's always nice to see. Yeah, it's definitely nice to see. And I know when you have Cooper Cup out with a, uh, I believe, hamstring. Hamstrings seem to be the injury of the year already. Packers have like 30 guys with hamstrings. Cooper Cup's been hamstring this whole time. And yeah, Tutu and Puka have just been incredible. And I I wish Puka could get into the end zone. Maybe not uh, next week because I think I'm going up against the person that has them. But, I, you know, that would just be all he needs now is just some of those touchdowns. And uh, be interesting to see if he can keep up this production um, or do teams kind of figure them out? Because, you know, rookies tend to hit a wall, and it's mm-hmm. when you're a rookie, young player, um, whichever you want to say, it's how you adjust to the adjustments they make to you. And I always say that about young quarterbacks. It's about how do you adjust to the adjustments? And I guess that's what's going to be important to Jordan Love in these coming weeks. Now that there's film out on him, how is he going to adjust to the adjustments? And, yeah, Puka I'm in, impressed with so far. Yeah, it's it's incredible, and and like you said, rookies hit a wall at a certain point. It, it, it's inevitable. You know, it's a longer season. It's a lot more physical, a lot faster, a lot more demanding on your body and demanding of your mind. And maybe he maybe he does hit that, but you know, 
Van Jefferson's not doing much on the Rams. Cooper Cup's going to be out for a few more weeks because he's on IR. Go and get your money, young man. Go, go and go and make a name for yourself. I don't think he's going anywhere. Even when Cooper Cup comes back, I think they found some some really reliable wide receivers. And who would have thought that the Puka and the Tutu would, yeah. would be would be named wide receivers this early in the season? Yeah, and then just want to jump to uh, some some baseball here and the Brewers. And I, I full disclosure, I predicted them win the Central. But they're just playing some outstanding baseball right now. The offensive scene to turn a corner, that that pitching they have with the starters, and then the back end of that bullpen, even though it did take a hit a lot yesterday with one of their relievers going on the IL with an elbow issue. And their other reliever, uh, Piampas, has definitely hit a wall. And I'm sure his, his role will change come postseason. But... You know, you look at the Braves, 97 and 55, and the Dodgers, 93 and 58. You would think that the World Series is going to come down to one of those two teams. But i probably going to sound like a homer saying this, but when you look at the the Brewers pitching that they have, and remember when they got smoked by the Braves uh, all but one game, uh, Wade Miley, Corbin Burns, and Woody did not pitch in any of those games. And that was pre-Freddie Peralta finding his stuff. But we're getting closer to the postseason. You know, what are your thoughts on the Brewers' chances on, uh, is that, you know, Washington won the series when nobody thought they would. Philly went to the uh, World Series last year and nobody thought they would. What are your thoughts on the Brewers being that team that nobody thinks is going to be there, being there in the end? You know what? I'll, I'll say this, that that Washington Nationals ring, it's actually the Brewers' ring. I still yeah. remember that wild card game. It still hurts. I still can't go back and watch it, but but I still remember it. That was their ring, but I digress. The offense has always been a big uh, thorn in the side for me because it has been wildly inconsistent. They would be in a groove, and they'll go out there, and they'll score eight-plus runs, multiple games, and you'll think they finally figured it out, and then they go and get shut out for the next two. Or the next the next game, they score one run. <laughs> you know, it's just <laughs> barely getting a run across the plate. Uh, maybe they win the game. Maybe they lose it because the pitching has always been automatic pretty much. If this is truly the offense that you're going to see out of the Brewers come postseason where they're coming through with timely hits – not struggling to find offense, not striking out, not not walking, swinging at bad pitches as we've seen them do in the ebbs and flows of a long season. But if this is what they're going to be on a consistent basis where they're able to come through with clutch situations and they're getting timely hitting and they're going station to station, maybe not the four straight doubles that we saw <laughs> the other night. You're not going to get that every night. But if they're going to come through with timely hitting like that and their pitching continues to be lights out, as they have been, because I've said it on toss, that has always carried them. I have never worried about the pitching. That has always carried them. It's always been the offense. If this is what they're going to do, they've got as good of a shot as anybody. Yeah, and I think the Carlos Santana, the Mar- uh, Marcana, those are moves when made. People, kind, you know, a couple of friends of mine in particular just kind of rolled their eyes like another 230 hitter to add to this lineup that – the best player bats 280. I think Yelich was up to 290 at the time, but I digress. 
And they, those moves have turned out to be just outstanding as Canna is over 300 since becoming a brewer. Santana's been hitting the crap out of the baseball and brings you better defense than Rowdy. And Josh uh, Donaldson, if, they, if he can uh, get hot for just about a month, which all they really need him for is they get hot for a month, those three right there can definitely carry the brewer offense. And if they can get Yelich healthy – because now that back's giving him issues again, and they can get him healthy, and they can get the Yelich that they saw, I want to say July is when he really went on a tear. They can get that Yelich along with Canna, Donaldson, and uh, Santana, plus with William Contreras. That's a dangerous offense that is going to be very tough to to contain for a, a best-of-three or a best-of-five or a best-of-seven. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's it's a best of three for that wild card, and all going to be in Milwaukee. All all going to be in Milwaukee. So I mean, that's that's a dangerous situation because any, anything can happen. You know, it could happen in the Brewers' favor, or it could happen against you know the Brewers not be in their favor. It's it's always dangerous when you have that short of a series and you only need a couple of wins to advance. So it's I mean, it's much better than the one game wild card. Again, that's why the Nationals have their ring. It's for the Brewers' ring. But I digress again. But anything could happen in that type of series. And you're right. If Josh Donaldson can be the bringer of rain, which is, I believe, his Twitter handle or his X handle. I can't say Twitter anymore. Twitter, um, whatever we're calling it. Whatever we're calling it these days. Uh, if he could be that guy for a month, like you said, how, how do you contain the Brewers? How do you stop them? Their, their, their pitching is more than likely going to keep the other hitters off the board as they have. I mean, they're going to shorten the game to get to that to that bullpen. You know, you're going to have maybe six innings to get to the starter, and then it's going to be lights out after that. They've got as good as a shot as anybody if those hitters are what they are currently, and that's consistently getting the timely hits. Yeah, and hopefully that continues. And I know Council is going to have some tough decisions to make for his postseason roster. Oh, yeah. Because uh, Sal Freelich, I'm sure, is going to be on it. I think he's definitely oh, earned the opportunity to be on it. But then you're looking at you guys like your Rowdy Telez. You got Carlos Santana can play first. Canna can play first. Telez has been abysmal at times this year. Um, Bryce Terang, Monasterio can play second base, and now Terang's a much better defender than Monasterio, but it's not that significant of a drop, in my opinion. Uh, Donaldson can play, you know, third base. I think he can play first base. There's just a lot of potential figuring out what this roster is going to look like. That I'm glad I don't have Council's job because trying to figure out who makes the postseason roster and who doesn't is going to be a tough decision all around. Yeah, I mean, if, for as much flack as he gets on some of the decisions that he makes, he is one of the smarter skippers in all of baseball. I'll give him his credit for that. 700 wins or 701 or how many ever it is right now. He's up there. He's, he's a smart guy. He'll definitely figure it out. But you are right. Those are some real difficult decisions coming up. But they have to qualify for postseason first. And I believe that magic number is three. So <laughs> we'll see. It is currently three, and let's look to see how the Cubs are doing right now because if the Cubs lose, it becomes two. So the Cubs are down three nothing right now in the going into the top of the sixth inning. So great news. Uh, Pirates get that win. Because if the <laughs> if the Cubs lose today, the Brewers are going to know going into their game Friday night if they're so if they beat Miami tomorrow, they clinch the playoff spot. They, they clinch, clinch a playoff spot. But they're going to know going into that game against Miami tomorrow 
if they are able to clinch the division or not. Because the Cubs play in the afternoon tomorrow. They play at 120 against the Rockies tomorrow. So if the if the Pirates hold off for that win today and the Rockies beat the Cubs tomorrow, if the Brewers win tomorrow, they win the NL Central. And that'd be exciting to see happen. Now it'll be more fun if Euchre could be there to give that final call, but you know, it is what it is at this point. They're get to celebrate in Miami, which hopefully they don't celebrate too much in Miami and catch that Miami flu the rest of the series. <laughs> yeah, stay up of South Beach, please. Yeah. Um seeking a council and I, I and I might th- I might put council h- higher up there you know than most. But to me he's one of the top managers in baseball. I think he's extremely underrated. The fact that he doesn't have an NL Manager of the Year award is shocking to me when you look at the teams that he continuously gets put. Uh, the players he is given, he other than 2000, he's won uh, 86 games or more. I think the, what I think it was like the last five or six years other than 2000, which was a shortened season. He, he gets the most out of his players. And at the end of the day, as much as his game-to-game decisions frustrate you sometimes. To me, Kanto is playing chess. He, he is making that move today, thinking of how it's going to affect this team two, three weeks down the road. So these moves he's making now, it's like, well, how is this going to affect us in the playoffs uh, and whatnot? And he's pulling Corbin Burns or Woody out of a game early a month and a half ago. He's thinking ahead to, to me, he's thinking ahead to September that – you know, we can maybe push him to go eight or nine in September instead of doing those opportunities back in May when a complete game in May doesn't really matter at all. It matters is come September, October. And the New York Post, John Heyman, is reporting that now maybe Council might not take a year off in 2024. He's not under contract currently for 2024. And my opinion, and I it hasn't I haven't really had a reason to change it, that if Council is not the Brewers manager in 2024, I think he's taking a year off. Um, that's my thought on it. But I just think if Council leaves Milwaukee, the ones that are critical of him and including a friend of mine that his opinion is uh, Council is an average at best manager, I think the Brewers are going to be in for a hurt once Council leaves. Yeah, because Council is a guy who, like you said, he does play chess while everybody else is playing checkers. I think your friend has a very checkered out view, <laughs> outlook on things. Uh, very, very short-sighted. And some, sometimes it does frustrate you because even if it's not May, it's like, you know, you're in the heat of a race. It's July, it's August, and you got a guy who's, you know, dealing, and it's a game that you absolutely need because you've been in the funk and you pull him. Well, I mean, you know, it's going to frustrate you, but I will say this about counsel. If he is not under contract for 2024, I would not be surprised to see him go with his buddy Stearns to New York. That's I would right. not, I would not be shocked to see that. I, I really would not. Be. And if he does not resign with the Brewers, if he does go elsewhere, if he does just go and take a year off. Yeah. The Brewers are definitely going to hurt because this is a guy who's in tune with the entire organization who's in tune with, you know, he was a player. So he understands, okay, he wasn't a superstar by any means, but he was one of the more clutch players in playoff history. So he knows how to get 
certain things out of certain guys and he just makes it all work and it's just really amazing to watch him again he gets so much flack he is very very much underrated i've had my tips with him but overall i respect him (laughs) i i definitely enjoy the 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 job that he does he gets the absolute best out of a roster that's given to him by an owner who holds the purse strings very (laughs) purse strings very very close to his chest yeah and 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 I, I know it all depends on who the Brewers hire as that manager, how much it's going to hurt, and they may hire someone that can just keep successful next year. But when you're talking twenty, you know, beyond twenty twenty four, finding someone besides Council who uh, can do what Council has done is going to be difficult. Because yeah, he's definitely to me a Hall of Fame trajectory type manager, and. You know, you can look at his, quote, lack of playoff success. He's 7-10 and 10 in the postseason, and I don't think he's won a playoff game. I think he's won one playoff game, actually. Yeah, one playoff game since the 2018 season. He won one game against the Braves in uh, 2021. But outside of that, you know, people want to criticize the playoff record. Milwaukee, it's tough to win in the postseason when you're going up against the, the Braves in 2018. I mean, sorry, 2021, the Dodgers in 2018. It's tough to get to the World Series when you're playing against those type of teams. And I think, as again, I think there's some decisions he's made, like playing Jeffers when his arm is, you could tell, a shot. Or, yeah. you know, trying to get one too many innings out of Josh Hader in 2019. The one you talk about should be his ring. And then in 2021, probably leaving, you know, not leaving guys in long enough and taking other guys out too late. And, you know, yeah, he, he over some postseason, he's overthought things at times. But if he goes to the Mets with Stearns, with the pocketbook that, um, was it Cohen has in New York? They're going to win a World Series in New York fairly quickly. I know next year is going to be a rebuilding year regardless with how much they sent away at the trade deadline. I think they pretty much blew every sent everybody they could think of away except for uh, Pete Alonzo. But that's a that's a position. You get counselor's intelligence, Stern's ability to build a team with the owner's money. They're They're going to be looking up big time in the next couple of years. Yeah, it's a it's a perfect storm for an absolute juggernaut to, to to come out of out of New York, and we don't mean the Yankees. Yeah, and yeah, if he can, if Council and Stearns could do what they've done in Milwaukee since Stearns got there, and it was supposed to, when Council first got the job, it was supposed to be a long rebuild. But you know, I, I will I do want to give Doug Melvin credit; he put the team in position immediately to make it a shorter rebuild. And Stearns kind of just ran with that, and he keeps getting, you know, the the Carlos Gomez trade is a trade that keeps on giving because you can, the William Contreras trade, you could date that all the way back to the to that Carlos Gomez trade because yep. they got Josh Hader in that Gomez trade. Eventually they got uh, William Contreras by trading away Josh Hader. It didn't, you know, obviously didn't happen directly, but... And I know that's more Matt, more Matt Arnold, and he trained under uh, Stearns. But to be able to figure figure out how to build a roster like they have with the limited resources, you know, I just look at what they're going to do in New York, and it's 
you know, gonna pain me if Counselor goes there. <laughs> really gonna pain me. You so. and me both, man. You and me both. He's, he's done a hell of a job in Milwaukee. I think he just needs to be appreciated more. I, yeah. Like I said, he's so underrated because of the talent that he's been given, the rosters that he's been given, and then people look at the playoff record. But winning baseball games is hard. There's 162 of them in the regular season. If you make the postseason, you know, there, there's more. It, it's it's yeah. a very difficult game and for him to be able to put the pieces together the way he has like you said playing chess not checkers it's it's been amazing to watch maddening at times but it's been amazing to watch yeah and the injuries that the brewers faced earlier this season woody missed a good chunk of the year uh wade miley was off on and off the il getting guys like colin ray and uh julio tehan who had pitched since 2019 to give you quality innings and still find ways to win. And once now everyone, for the most part, is healthy, they're running away with the division. With guys not healthy, yeah, they give up the lead of the division. The biggest lead at one point was three games for everybody that was a division this year, never got bigger than three. And now the Brewers are starting to run away with it, and they're on the verge of winning another division title in the council. So I do want to say the uh, – Got tongue tied there. <laughs> you want to say thank you for coming on and uh, chit chatting it up a little bit. Uh, you know, it's been a while, and you know, and I always enjoy talking. Uh, you know, sports with you, and I think we showed today we can talk about things other than bucks. <laughs> we can. We can. Yeah. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Yeah. But no, always great to be on with you, man. Always great to chop it up with you. Like I said, you put out some of the most commonsensical takes out there. People really need to get on it and understand that hot takes are not the way. Yeah, and, you know, hot takes, if there's some sense behind it, maybe, but typically you just throw crap against the wall and see if it sticks, and that's what some of these talking head shows, as they call them, try to say. Let's just throw a bunch of crap against the wall and see what happens. Yeah, views and clicks, (laughs) views and clicks. Yeah. Well, the podcast version of this show, for those uh, watching the video, uh, will be posted tomorrow morning. Uh, Thank you for all that watched it, all that listened to it. You know, you can find all my work on uh, my sub stack that I have out there. All the podcasts are there. Or you can, uh, I have a couple articles. I'm a new feature this season, 32 Thoughts, which I'm going to have to come up with a new name in a couple weeks once bye week starts. (laughs) (laughs) But 32 Thoughts, and it's just, you know, random thoughts on every game, uh, every team that played in that week. And just kind of something that uh, stood out to me. All that can be found at... Uh, sports thoughts from Evan. Uh, substack.com. You can go there and check it out. It's also linked in my uh, my Twitter, my X or Twitter handle in the bio, the uh, link tree. It's there as well. So appreciate you all. Appreciate you for coming on. Uh, oh, if you want to let anybody who doesn't know where they can find your stuff before I, uh, I guess, send it away. Hey, scrolling <laughs> at the bottom at the two zero yeah. double on X. TossNationMedia.com, your home for the Toss brand of sports. Truthful, opinionated, passionate sports. It's what you deserve. Yep. And I appreciate checking that out as well, uh, too. So make sure you check that out. With that said, be with you probably Tuesday next week because I got a pretty slam rest of the week. So bring you a new show probably Tuesday next week. Until then, enjoy the rest of the week. And I'll get back at you, hopefully, talking about a Packer victory. But if not, Hopefully it's a competitive loss, if that makes sense. Hope so. (laughs) Have Have a good one, everybody.